this week, I want us to remember where we've been for those of you who maybe missed last week or need a little refresher. Pastor Allen was giving us a lesson on chapter 4 that had to deal with the current state of the church, where they were at. So if you remember, we've gone through those gospel texts, and this is a chronological element that it goes in order, seeing that our text for today is after Christ has gone to the cross for the sins of the people, for the sins of you and me, and that Christ has risen from the dead. And people are excited about that, just as they should be. And so today we see the church basking in this glory of God, of this risen Lord, Jesus Christ, their Savior. In fact, the church is doing wonderful, we're told, within Scripture. It says that the number of people at this current time in the church is about 5,000. 5,000 people. And it actually says that it's only 5,000 men that they are counting. So this first early century church is probably about 20,000 people, if you count the men and women and children all together that are a part of this. They're doing really, really well. Now, Pastor Allen only preached for us on that first part of chapter 4. And so today, I want us to look just briefly as we begin on the second part of chapter 4, which actually begins at verse 32. So let's look back and just get a little summary of the early church here this morning. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What a concept of unity we have as our text begins for today. Notice the number that it mentions, or the description that it puts upon the church. It doesn't say that 50, 75 or even 95% of the people, it says the full number, all 20,000 of these individuals, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Imagine the unity that was there. It's hard to get two people to agree on something at many points in our life. Imagine 20,000 to be able to agree And just as these early Christians loved their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they love his bride, the church. They're focused on what they are able to do for one another in the name of their Lord. Let's see how it continues. Verse 34. It says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds to what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Don't get this text wrong today. This text is not about me calling you to give your finances or your money to the church this morning. If you want to hear about that, we can do that after church, and I'll talk about that too. But this morning, we're talking about something that's very different. It's stewardship in a different way. The stewardship that we talk about this morning is talking about the whole person. This church is so excited that we read about in our text. They are so motivated that they are willing to do anything for one another and willing to do anything for the Lord because the Holy Spirit is calling upon them. What an example for us here 
at Shepherd of the Desert. What an example for our confirmation students today as we move forward. The example of being able to give of all that we are, of all that God created us to be, and the talents that each of you have, and the testimony that God has given to you, to be able to share with people around you what God has done for you. And I know that's not always easy. It's not simple for you. It's not always simple for your parents. Because at times, it's hard, it feels like, to share who our Savior is. Because sometimes we worry about what people will think about us. We worry about the things that they will say, the things that they will think. But sometimes we need to be more worried about what would happen if they didn't hear of who their Savior is. If they didn't know of the love that God has given to them. And so our church today is no different than this church then of being able to see a great inspiration that has been put upon us by the Holy Spirit and to take part in being able to move forward. This text concludes in chapter 4 today with giving us an example of an individual who is doing what would seem to be a great element of encouragement for many people around him. Verse 36 and 37 say, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And with that, chapter 4 that Pastor Allen was working on last week comes to a close. It notes the giving spirit of Joseph, the one they call uh, Barnabas, that we'll see later on in uh, chapter 13 in the book of Acts when he goes on his missionary journeys. Everything seems to be moving right along. It says, if you remember in that very beginning, that the name of Christ is on the lips of all the apostles, that people's ears are open, that they are listening to this good news of forgiveness in the Lord, that the church is building up. There's not even a needy person among them, not even one, because they are all of one mind, of one spirit. They are all moving forward together. But that's how chapter 5 starts starts with the word but. Let's look at that together again this morning. Acts chapter 5 verse 1, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself Part of the proceeds of this land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So, what happened? What happened with Ananias and Sapphira that they would do this thing? Maybe they saw Joseph or Barnabas sell his piece of land, and maybe they saw that he was encouraging others, and maybe they thought that he received some notoriety for this or some acknowledgement. And maybe they thought to themselves, you know what, I would like to have acknowledgement. That's something that we heard in our gospel text for today of how the Pharisees used to give in the temple, that they would do so so that everybody could see them, so that the focus would be upon them and not upon God. 
And so maybe Ananias and Sapphira decide that they want some of that acknowledgement, that they're going to give a gift so that everybody can know just how generous that they are. You know what? Maybe they did begin with the best of intentions. Maybe they began in deciding that they were going to sell the land that they owned and that they were going to give the proceeds to the church. But maybe they sold the land and maybe they received more than they thought they were going to get. Or possibly did they get that silver or that gold in their hands and once they had it, it was just too much. Before it was just a piece of property, but now it was actual wealth. And it was too tempting to be able to give away. Either way, we see that our text comes to this first commandment issue. The first commandment of being able to not put anything else before God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, we are told within Scripture. But at some point, this piece of property, or this monetary wealth that Ananias and Sapphira get, becomes more important to them than the one true God. This story today isn't just about Ananias and Sapphira. It's about you and it's about me. We've done the exact same thing. You have been here and so have I. At times, maybe unknowingly, when we have put God second, third, fourth in our life. Maybe even times when we've done that deliberately. That we put things in this world over and above God. It wasn't the donation that Ananias and Sapphira were making. It was their heart. That they wanted to be the ones that were acknowledged. That they wanted the ones that people were worshiping, if you will. That they wanted to be the ones that had all the attention put on them. They could have given anything that they wanted to. Or they didn't have to give anything if they didn't want to. In fact, it said that right within our own scripture text as Peter is being able to talk to them. He says the words, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Then he follows up, and even after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? This property is yours. It's up to you what to do with the money that you got from it. But don't lie and say that you're donating all of these things for God's glory when you're only donating a portion of it for your glory. They could have come to the apostles and said, you know what, we're going to donate 90% of this. And they would have told them, praise be to God. They could have come and said, we're going to donate 50% of this. And they would have said, praise be to God. They could have come and said, we sold this big piece of land. We got a lot of money. We're going to donate 10% of it. And they would have said, praise be to God. But instead, they hid this down within their own hearts. That they had this element of hypocrisy that all of us, again, have had at some type in our life. So it poses a question for us today. It's a tough question. What are we secretly holding back from God? What do you secretly hold back from God? We are told within Scripture that you and I were bought at a price. It's a hefty price that Jesus has to pay to be able to give us forgiveness of sins. But what do we still hold back, even knowing that? You know, you can slack in your efforts at work or at school, and maybe nobody will know. You can tell little 
white lies to your friends or to your spouse, and maybe nobody will know. You can talk about people behind their back, and maybe they won't know. But the one thing you and I cannot do is hide from God. None of us here today can hide from God in any way possible. That's why we take note of that question that Peter poses. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? What a great question to that first century church and also for you and I. Why have we contrived in our heart that we think we can hide things from God? Why have we contrived in our heart that things in this world will be what makes us happy over and above the forgiveness that we receive from our Lord? The result in our text today is anything but joyful. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. It said, When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Did I tell you that we're going to be taking an offering after the sermon today? This is a tough one. It, it really is. In fact, this text isn't even always preached upon many times. Many times it's jumped over until you get to an element where we have a series like this where we're covering every chapter in the book of Acts. You see, all of us here today, we've heard and we know the love of Christ, correct? Correct. We know the mercy that God gives to us, yeah? Yes. We know the grace that God has bestowed upon his people, correct? Yes. We know all of those things. And we love to think about all of those great things. But when it comes to something like this, Sometimes we might skip over it a little bit. It's fun to talk about God's love, about his grace, about his mercy, about his forgiveness. Not always fun to talk about things like this. I looked up some different passages this week and wrote down a few phrases for us. For the wages of sin are death. For the soul who sins shall die. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. I don't think I need to continue. We may not like to hear about this side of the word because it can be frustrating to us. It can make us feel uh, guilty at times. Maybe we don't understand it fully. Maybe it makes us feel like we are broken. But there's a purpose for this word in our lives. Confirmation students, when we are going through our teaching, we refer to this as being the law. That which God gives to us to be able to show us our sin. To be able to show us what we've committed and the things that we have done and the things that we have not done. But he gives it to us for a reason. He gives us that law so that we can be guided directly back to him in all things. So that we can know and realize what we have done wrong or the things that we should have and go right back to his arms. You see, even God's law is summarized in being that which is given to us only out of love and only out of forgiveness. 
And no one is innocent of these things in any way. As good as we think that we are, all of us still have sin as a part of our life. Look how our text concludes today, beginning with verse 7. It says, After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Sounded a lot better when Doug read that in his nice Texas accent today. These are hard words. They don't seem polite in any way, no matter how I would try to speak them. And what a strange text this is, especially for a Confirmation Sunday. Especially for those of you who are here maybe for the first time in your lives or just here visiting somebody today. What a strange text this truly is. The church is doing so great. The growth rate of believers is off the charts. They're acknowledging the struggles of all the different members and they're figuring out practical solutions to provide for all the people in the body of Christ. Yet we come to this. Boy, it would have been so easy just for the author to eliminate this book, this chapter, out of Acts. He could have just not written this down for the day, only to focus on the success of the church, the good things, the things we like to talk about in this world. But guess what? This is put here for everyone to be able to see. So that not only those first century Christians, but also you as 21st century Christians will know of the God who has come for us. That even within the church, we are not perfect. As members of the church, we are here as sinners just like anybody else. That even when we have something in our church that looks so successful, that looks so good, that temptation still exists there behind every corner. Something important for us to remember, confirmation students, that it's always going to be there. That temptation waiting for you all the time. And it's not meant to scare us in any way. It's not meant to just bring some type of shame down upon our heads. But again, we hear these words so that we can turn from our sin. Being a member of the body of Christ is something that is very special. That allows us to know of God's grace and forgiveness. Sometimes as Christians we allow our idea of God or our concept of who he is to become something that is only flowerly. Something that is only thinking about how casual we deal with him every single week. Maybe it's only on Sundays that we talk about him and we start to forget. We get in that routine and we lose reverence toward God. The respect that he calls for us to be able to have. And all of us have tested God, as we said before. King David writes that for us in the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 130, he writes in verse 3, 
If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? It's a great question. If the Lord kept a record of my sin, I know I wouldn't make it out of here today. I assume that you're right there with me. But, David writes, in his next verse, but, he begins in verse 4, with you, talking about God, with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. There's that enjoyment that we start to hear. The same word which shows us our sin is the exact same word that shows us our Savior. True realization of God's forgiveness in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes who we are as individuals, and it changes who we are as a church. Members of one body, going out into the world, being able to acknowledge that we are constantly confirming who our God is. Remember this. God has held nothing back from you. May we be driven by his spirit to hold nothing back from him. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come to you and meditate upon these words today, we realize and recognize that it is a tough state of affairs for us many times as we come upon your law. But Lord, we know that you also promised to give us your gospel. We ask that that will be firm upon our lips, that we will be empowered by your spirit to go out into the world and know that the actions that we commit are on behalf of you. That we do these things not to draw attention to ourselves, but to point directly back to you. Lord, you have given us so many things and offered us so much in this life. May we be inspired to constantly serve you and revere you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.